you take the people from their work get back to your labor and Pharaoh said look the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor so the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before let them go and gather straw for themselves you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they had made before you shall not reduce it for they are idle therefore they cry out saying let us go and sacrifice to our God let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. So as we covered uh, this particular passage of the first uh, three verses last Sunday uh, evening, uh, the, the thing that I want you to remember or to take away this evening is that very last bullet <clears throat> as we move into uh, the next passage uh, the request to go and to offer sacrifice was a request that uh, Yahweh had made to Moses in uh, and around uh, Mount Sinai back in chapter 3. So it was a simple request, and it uh, began the test of Pharaoh's heart. Uh, an easy request to grant, but it also displays to us the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And <clears throat> the Lord made or gave to Moses this uh, decree, basically, to speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that uh, uh, our leaders are, have gotten together. Please grant that we go and offer sacrifice. But Pharaoh sees this as an affront to him, and that's what we begin to, to read here in, in verses 4 and those as following. So regardless of who the individual is, now Pharaoh obviously is the, uh, <clears throat> is the one that is uh, being challenged by Yahweh here in this passage, but regardless of whether God pursues us or Pharaoh, it begins in the plainness of obedience, and all of our sin generally is a disobedience. So disobedience will bring plagues. And exactly what Moses said in the last part of verse 3, if you don't let us go, he may fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. Well, that's precisely what happens to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So keep that in mind as we move on. Let me make sure I get this right. Yeah, so... <clears throat> In the verses following, <clears throat> verses 4 through 9, um, the Lord had already told Moses, obviously, that Pharaoh's not going to let you go. He will harden his heart. I'm going to harden his heart. So it's going to take a while. This is not something that's going to occur in a week or so. Uh, so buckle your seatbelts. You're in for a long ride. And what Pharaoh does is because the people are Many now, 
he challenges Moses and Aaron and tells them, listen, these, the people, because they are many, they are able to hide their laziness. They might move over here adjacent to some stones or down by the river or whatever. So they're idle people. And so he's not going to grant them what their request was. And because of this, he again mentions, and we already know back from the first few chapters of the book of Exodus, that the Hebrew people had multiplied um, considerably. In fact, we find that the Hebrew midwives, those that uh, hid the Hebrew children, the Hebrew midwives and the women themselves were, uh, as the scripture says, they were uh, strong women. They were able to give uh, birth without too many ramifications, and the children themselves were strong and were able to withstand the uh, environment that they were in. Moses, of course, was one of these, uh, born uh, many, many years ago now, 80 years ago as he stands before Pharaoh. So there, perhaps from what we're reading here, he says the people uh, are many uh, in uh, verse 5 and you are keeping them from their labor. So the previous attempts, and no doubt, well, there had been, the previous attempts that had been made to curb the population had not worked. So whether it was um, infanticide, uh, perhaps it was euthanasia, whatever, uh, one of it, if, you, if you do any reading in history, one of the things that, Hitler himself took away from what we see here in the book of Exodus is the fact that Pharaoh was very keen to limit the people, the Hebrew people, to just the strong ones. And the Hebrew people had to be strong in order to endure their travel to the, the slavery in Egypt and also the travel to the uh, promised land. So they the, the attempts to, to limit the people had failed and they continued to multiply and to grow and to grow rapidly. So we think that about this time they were at least a million people. Could have been as many as two million people, which is a fairly good population in uh, Egypt. And they were all, except for a few, they were all slaves. So it's hard to keep tab of this many slaves, even if you have those that, as we find out later on, the Egyptians themselves had uh, administrators to oversee what was taking place. So Pharaoh didn't like the request. He undertook, uh, and of course his word was law and was supreme law. Uh, he undertook to punish Israel, and the way he punished them was he gave them more work. Um, I remember when, <clears throat> before I retired, there was a, well, and you've probably heard this little saying, uh, you know, of uh, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. And so here you have individuals that were uh, very, uh, very sharp, very strong, very healthy. And Pharaoh now takes advantage of the health of these people. And he commands that the Israelites now not only were to make bricks, <clears throat> but they were also to gather straw to make the bricks. Now, 
archaeologists tell us that this was one of the um, improvements that the Egyptians made uh, in, the, in the development of clay bricks. It is also thought, although there's nothing to substantiate it, but it was also thought that the Hebrews themselves came up with this, this um, particular invention, if you please, and that is the including of straw in the clay to make the bricks. What we know now, they didn't know then, but what we know now is the chemistry of the straw interacts with the chemistry of the clay and actually makes a firmer, harder, more resilient brick. It makes the brick stronger. And if you've seen pictures of the pyramids and so forth, and they've, they've been around for now thousands of years, and although there's been consider, a considerable amount of weather that has taken place across them, they are still there. Um, we've been, Americans have been in this country for a little over 400 years, and uh, I'm not sure what the oldest building is. I guess it's in St. Uh, Augustine, Augustine there in Florida. But um, you've made trips to Jamestown or Yorktown or Williamsburg, and you see those things. But those buildings are old, but they're not thousands of years old. So <clears throat> they are given the command to gather the straw, and apparently the straw had been supplied to them. But now Pharaoh says, we're not going to do that anymore. You're going to have to go out and get the straw and make the bricks. The, uh, the last bullet on this particular uh, slide says that all sorts of bricks have been found in Egypt. And the, uh, one of the things that obviously that archaeologists do is they will, they will take samples of these and other building materials to determine how uh, strong and uh, perhaps how uh, enduring these materials were and are. Uh, again, we've seen that some of them last for literally hundreds of years, for centuries. So there are bricks that have been found, some with regularly chopped straw. And again, the thought is that the straw was literally raised or it was a, an agricultural product that was planted and raised for the purpose of adding to bricks. The Egyptians were a uh, construction-oriented people, especially the pharaohs. Some of the bricks have been found with roots and uh, sediment, sand, so forth. Some have been found without straw at all. So what we see here, there have been those that question, well, this, if you, this predates uh, all the use of straw, well, it doesn't. Because when you start to date those particular items that were used, uh, the majority of them during this time period, we think this was about 14 to 1500 B.C. And if so, then that would uh, be the time where the archaeologists have confirmed that these bricks indeed have uh, straw in them. So just a little side like that. So it was mixed with clay. It made the bricks more pliable. It also made them stronger. 
Uh, it would bind the clay together, sort of like making, uh, sometimes you can make a hamburger with just ground beef or whatever, and you don't have any, uh, any bread or egg or something. I remember my mother having to feed three boys, and <clears throat> Bethany, this comes to mind. Uh, every Saturday night, for years, she would fix uh, hamburgers. And they weren't quarter pounders, quarter pounders. Sometimes I think they weren't, weren't even eighth pounders or sixteenth pounders, sixteenth pounders. But we had enough because she would make about two dozen hamburgers. And she would put bread in with them. She would make biscuits every night, and if we didn't eat the biscuits, <laughs> biscuits, which was rare, but if we didn't, she would crumble those up. She then would put uh, an egg or a couple of eggs in. She would mix all of this together. And the result was they went further. And I'm sure they tasted, uh, as a boy, you're not really interested in taste. You're just interested in getting, a, getting your fill. So... One of our great uh, pastimes after my sister came along was uh, sitting and watching her eat or not eat and then claiming that we're going to eat uh, uh, what he, her leftovers. We would call dibs, and once you call dibs, nobody can argue against you, right? So we'd call dibs on her food. So the same thing applies to building materials. It's more pliable, binds the clay together, and then the clay and the straw in reaction, the chemical reaction, uh, releases what's called humic acid. And the humic acid actually makes the brick stronger. So <clears throat> eastern bricks or bricks that are found in the Mesopotamian area, uh, they did find clay and straw again that was uh, kneaded together. Um, they were not burned, they were not put in a kiln. Although that type of uh, material process was known years before this particular incident. They would then dry them in the sun. So they dried, it took a longer time to dry, but over that period of time it became stronger. <clears throat> Philo was a Greek, Greco-Roman, historian, and he said, because straw is the bond by which the brick is held together. So Pharaoh knew this, uh, Pharaoh's administrators knew this, and the Hebrew people knew this. So he commands that they begin to make uh, bricks with straw, and together the straw. And verse 9 says, let uh, more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it, and that they may not regard false words. So look here at verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I'll not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to Harry, saying, <coughs> fulfill your work your daily quota is when there was straw. And also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters set over them, were beaten and were asked, well, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday <coughs> excuse me, and today as before? So, interestingly, 
what we see, what we learn from this, is that this command goes out immediately. Pharaoh's not waiting. All right, you're going to ask me to do something that I'm not going to do and just to make it harder on your people immediately, that same day. In fact, that's what verse 6 says. Um, That same day Pharaoh commanded that this command be made. So instead of being released to worship, they are retained and their enslavement becomes more severe. Now, there's a, great, there's a great lesson here. Jesus in the Gospels <clears throat> said, If any man would follow me, let him take up his cross and come after me. What we're seeing here is the taking up of a cross. And often, when we are given the direction contained in Scripture to use the gifts and talents that we have to accomplish the work within God's church. Sometimes the, there's opposition. Sometimes there's this, there's this reticence. And sometimes the Lord allows this to teach his people. We forget this. All, it, when you get to the Gospels and Jesus had the 12 that were called to him, He's very clear. He told them, you didn't, call, you didn't find me. You didn't call me. I called you. And when, the, <clears throat> when his time, as he approached Jerusalem, as it became more severe, more testing, more uh, stress was placed upon him, it likewise filtered down to his disciples. We see that right here. I'm not going to. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I'm not going to obey him. I'm not going to let the people go. In fact, I'm going to increase the effort. So what are your thoughts as you go through? And we're not going to finish this particular chapter tonight. But look at verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? You told me you were going to let them go. Why is it you sent me? Since I came to Pharaoh and speak to you uh, in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. That's a remarkable statement. I'm found in that statement. You're found in that statement. This is the the lack of trust that we have. This morning we talked about suspicion of God. This is suspicion of God we become very suspicious of what God has called us to do. So what happens in the interim is not freedom, but more bondage, and it makes the labor placed on the Hebrews more severe. So one of the great takeaways from these early chapters here in the book of Exodus. And what we're taught is that being released from this bondage, this Egyptian bondage, is not going to be quick and easy. For Christ to go to the cross was not quick and it was not easy. For us to live a Christian life is not quick and it's not easy. 
It's not intended to be. And Yahweh was, only test, was not only testing Pharaoh, but he's also testing Moses. And he's also testing Israel. So we're going to stop there this evening. We'll pick up with this uh, next Sunday evening. Any comments or questions on what we've covered tonight? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we read these passages of Scripture and <clears throat> this great narrative that's seen here in the book of Exodus. And it reminds us, Lord, that you know, folks thousands of years ago and folks today, human nature has not changed. We're still a suspicious people. We're still a questioning people. We still want to know the end before the beginning. And so these are the result of the fall, and we pray and ask for forgiveness, and we ask that you'd uh, increase our faith and our trust in you by the Spirit of God. We pray for every individual and person that is here this evening, every couple, every family, that your blessings abide and be with them as we depart this place. Give us safety during this coming week and bring us back again when we can worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.